we have spent the last, geez, two months uh, on a, a subject that we have called uh, We Are Family. And uh, it, it actually started with our uh, announcement of the name of our church changing. And so we, uh, we are now Family Church as of September, uh, end of September this year. And, um, and we wanted to kind of really spend some time talking about the significance of that name and, and that identity and the significance, the spiritual significance of, of being the family of faith, the family of God. And so we have really uh, had, a, had a good time digging into these beautiful pictures of the family of faith in the early church in the New Testament. And uh, I think it's been very beneficial. I've enjoyed it. Um, today, uh, we're going to wrap up that series. And uh, we're going to finish off today. And, and we're going to spend today uh, going back a little earlier than the New Testament. We're going to go back, in fact, to the beginning to the book of Genesis. And so we're going to spend some time there today. Um, so just an overview of really the, the story of the Bible. Uh, it is a, a beautiful story and it's vivid and there's so much to uh, the scriptures and, and uh, it's an amazing journey to walk through them. Um, but just to, to summarize in, in, in just a few words, the, the arc of the Bible is, is this. Uh, God created everything. And uh, in the beginning, he created everything, and he said it himself. It's by God's own admission, this is really good. And so God made everything perfect. He made everything good. Uh, and then, unfortunately, uh, man fell and m- broke every good thing that God made. So sin entered the earth because of man's disobedience, our fall, and, uh, and so every good thing that God made, man broke. And so uh, we live currently in a broken and fallen world, and we all see that, we all feel that, we all know that. I don't have to sell you on that. Uh, it's pretty plain to see, pretty clear to see that it, this, is a, this is a messed up place. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is immediately God instituted a plan to right the wrongs that that we, uh, we we went off course and God instituted a plan immediately to bring us back to goodness to perfection and so God is righting the wrongs He's redeeming us and so um, that's the summary of the Bible and so um, God immediately sets forth a plan to redeem and fix everything that we broke and restore it to goodness and so. Uh, you'll find a story, and I'll just paraphrase, you don't have to go there. You, you'll find a story, and it's, uh, personally, it's one of my favorite parables uh, that Jesus ever shared. But you'll find a story, it's very familiar to all of us, and for, it, it gives us terminology that we still use to this day. We call it the prodigal son. And so you, you find that in Luke chapter 15, and, and, and Jesus tells a story uh, about a young man who, who just decided uh, that... Uh, Life would be better, better spent, uh, away from his family, uh, away from that connection. And so it, it, he even uses terminology that would be very dramatically severing the connection of family. He says, uh, I want my inheritance that you would give me or that I would receive after you pass away 
So that is a way to say, you're dead to me. And so Jesus tells a story about a young man who, who basically wants to be uh, disowned or, or divorced from his entire family to go out and, and uh, do his own thing and try to find uh, hope and ha- find meaning and find purpose and find some sort of salvation that he's looking for, so a life worth me- living, a, a life with meaning. He tries to find that on his own. And so um, uh, if you're a parent, it, it's hard to imagine something like this happening, even though it does uh, commonly happen. But um, the, the beautiful part of the story is that the son returns home and is embraced immediately again as a son. Now, this story, if you've never thought about it in these terms, this is uh, a story that Jesus told 2,000 years ago. And, uh, and it was way after the fact of the original uh, story, story of the you know, Genesis chapter uh, three story of, of man falling, but this is really, this is the, this is a story about us falling and, and walking away. And so in the garden of Eden, Adam says, I, I want to do this on my own. I got it. And so Adam and Eve decide to take matters into their own hands. They want to do something in order to become more, to become more like God. They, 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 a lot of theologians, historians call the fall in the garden an upward fall, meaning it wasn't blatant rebellion. It was, it was self-righteousness. It was them attempting to become greater than they already were. And so it's man's attempt to become more like God. In fact, that's the fall. In, in a nutshell, it's, it's man trying to be his own God. So they take the ball into their court and they say, we got this. And so what we see in the garden is exactly what Jesus is painting the picture of in Luke chapter 15. It's, it's us rebelling and, and walking away and say, I want to do this on my own. And then the entire Bible from that moment, from the fall in the garden uh, through the entire scriptures, all of them, is a story of us coming back home. And being embraced as, as children, the children of God, sons and daughters of God. And so this, the Bible is one long, beautiful story of a loving father whose heart is to rescue and to bless his rebellious children. That's what the whole Bible is. It's a story of broken and fallen people and lost people are being welcomed back home, uh, back into this big, beautiful Family. Now, before we go back to Genesis, I want to re- I'll read a little bit there, but uh, I want to start here in the book of Ephesians because it just reiterates this and, and it brings it home nicely. It's a powerful statement. Ephesians chapter one, uh, just the, just verses three through eight. Uh, this is what the apostle Paul says, and, and again, he's summarizing uh, God's move towards us and, and what He is doing within our hearts. He says this, starting verse three. Blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. In him, 
we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We are adopted as sons and as daughters. We are welcomed into the family of God. We are strays. We're runaways. But this is a, this is a picture that God welcomes us all home. Jesus' arms wide open to embrace us and welcome us as sons and daughters. Um, now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 11, uh, what you'll find are the many, uh, some of the many detours that we take along the way uh, in our journey home. Uh, and, and I'll put it this way. Our journey home for a lot of people is just we all crave. The Bible says we hunger and thirst for righteousness. What that means is there's something inside of every person that hungers for things to be made right again. Uh, there is a discontentment on the inside of every human being. There is a dissatisfaction. I would say it's a holy dissatisfaction that is on the inside of every human being alive. Inside the faith, outside the faith, everybody longs for things to be made right. There is a, there is a frustration, a listlessness, a void, a vacancy. Uh, I, I've said this for years. Every single person struggles with the same disorder. I call it restless soul syndrome. Uh, there is something off. There's something off. Uh, have you ever uh, locked your car door uh, and went inside a store only to realize or, or forget whether or not you locked your car door? Have you ever uh, left the house, locked your front door, and drove down the road and wondered, did I lock the front door? Uh, and, and until you resolve that, it's the only thing you can think of. You can't focus on anything else until you resolve that one thing. It's a splinter that's nagging. It's a hangnail that you can't... You, the whole world stops until you resolve this issue. That's, that is on the inside of us. And then we extend beyond ourselves to try to find something that would scratch that itch. We try to find that in relationships. We try to find that in careers, in finances, in money, in jobs, in accolades. Uh, we try to find that in every, around every corner, under every rock. There's something that we're looking to to bring fulfillment and wholeness to our, our vacancy that is inside of us. And it, it is a, it's, a, it's a vacancy that only God can fill. And so that craving is on the inside of us and people have tried for generations and generations and generations to resolve that on their own and in genesis chapter 11 uh, it speaks to a community of people who thought if we could just build a tower tall enough then we could ascend and be in the heavens and so they took it upon them, their own strength. They took it all upon themselves not to seek God, not to ask God to resolve their itch that is on the inside of them, their, their vacancy. They took it matters in their own hands. It's a very pagan culture, and they were basically uh, self-reliant. They were their own gods. And so God did something. They were building this tower. We call it the Tower of Babel. Uh, they were building this tower, and God disrupted that. 
and he disrupted that by doing something that is, uh, that, that is to, to this day, is amazing how effective this is. But he confused their speech. No longer could they communicate with each other. And when they couldn't communicate with each other, they couldn't complete the task. It's amazing. And, and there's so much there. We could, we could spend months, weeks and months on that alone. But really, their unity, with the power of the unity together was their ability to, to, to talk, to share ideas, to share thoughts, to share plans. And when he made them uh, self-reliant individuals, it destroyed progress entirely. Now, he did that to a pagan society, and, and within that pagan society, where there were so many of these uh, attempts, these towers, these, these different uh, things that were uh, icons of seeking a false god, there was a man who was living in that community by the name of Abram. And Abram lived in a very pagan society, and God saw favor on this man. And in, in, in fact, this man is called a friend of God. He's the only person in the Bible that's called that. This is a friend of God. And God called Abram to leave this pagan community and start again fresh in a new place. Canaan. And, and this is the promise. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the call of God. Uh, this is the, after we're introduced to Abram in the same chapter as the Tower of Babel, we get this, starting in, uh, in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, the land, the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's not a throwaway line there, obviously. Nothing God says is a throwaway line. But in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And, and this speaks to God's cosmic plan to rescue and bless this rebellious world through his family of faith. To bring blessing to the runaways, to the rebels. And God calls Abram out of this pagan community. Now, unlike the prodigal son, he is not leaving a, 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 a righteous, holy home. He calls him to leave a, a, a place of, of evil. This... Uh, uh, disobedience before God and he calls him to a new place now uh, he, we are introduced to him in, in Genesis 11 and uh, his wife her name is Sarai is her original name and so we're introduced to him in, in chapter 11 and, uh, of Genesis and then the rest of the Old Testament all of the, the entirety of the Old Testament speaks to one family theirs the whole picture that is painted in the old testament up until jesus his arrival 
speaks to one family. It's one family story. It's one family tree. And God speaks to this one family. And this is where it begins. As the story goes, God changes Abram's name, which he did often. But uh, he says to Abram, which Abram's name meant, uh, meant exalted father. So he didn't change it much, but he just added the Abraham on the other end of it. So Abram becomes Abraham, and, uh, which means a father of multitude. So he, he takes a very personal, individual statement. I, I'm, I am the exalted father. It's turned inward. And he turns it outward and says, you will be a father of a multitude. Countless. In fact, God makes the promise that the number of your descendants will outnumber the stars. The number of your descendants will outnumber the sands, the grains of sand on the seashore. It's a lot of kids. It's a big Thanksgiving table. He, God then turns his attention to Sarai whose name meant a woman of power in a very local sense, immediate sense. And he changes her name to Sarah, which is, it, it, it's the same meaning, but it's greater. It's, not, it's no longer localized. It's, it's outward, and it's a greater identity for him and for her. Now, God promises to them, you two are going to be the, the patriarch and the matriarch of this family that I'm creating, this nation that I'm creating from you, you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. You're going to have tons and tons of kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. Let's all praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. Right leg, left leg. Now, that sounds fine. It sounds doable. You're like, okay, cool. Have some kids. Have some babies. Well, in an interesting plot twist, Abraham is 100 years old. And Sarah is 90. He's like, all right, start having some babies. And Abraham turns to Sarah and he hears the theme song to Golden Girls in the back of his mind. Thank you for being a friend. This is impossible. No way. Cannot happen. And the Bible doesn't mix terms. It, it tells us. Cannot happen. So God states an impossibility. Now, Abraham knew this was impossible, and so like so many of us do, and maybe not in these terms, but, you know, something like this, he, he takes matters into his own hands. In fact, Sarah does too. And they, they, they come up with a, a way to, to basically technically walk out God's plan, but moving it from the place of faith into a place of control. We're, we're no longer having to trust God. We're going to take matters into our own hands. Now, uh, they, he, they had someone that was basically uh, worked for them. And, uh, and Sarah's like, why don't you guys, you know, go to the no-tail motel, motel, hotel, Holiday Inn. Go, go, yeah, 
and I won't get colorful here. It's Thanksgiving week. My goodness, what's wrong with you people? So, uh, you know, and then they conceive. So it's like, ha high five, God, look what I did. And God's like, no, that's not it. So they had Ishmael, and God's like, no, no, God bless Ishmael, but that's not where I'm going. Sarah conceives. It's a miracle. God does something that is impossible. And we see that throughout the Bible. It's stated what's what's impossible with man is made possible by God. And uh, so anyway, this this story has come up many, many times. We've talked about this in terms of the name change of our church. Uh, This story has come up. And so the statement of faith of calling our church family church is similar to the statement of faith when when God changes Abram's name to Abraham because it wasn't a reality. Abram becoming Abraham, the father of of many, a multitude, was a statement of faith because it's not like he waited till after Abraham had kids to call him that. He called him Abraham before he had any children. So it was a statement of faith. When we changed the name to Family Church, it was in no way a statement of arrival. It was not a statement of a destination to say, we do this right. We do this great. It was a statement of faith to say, we're believing God to make us this. We're believing that God is doing this in our midst, and like Abraham, uh, or unlike Abraham, I should say, we refuse to kick this thing into the place of personal control to where we can do it. We refuse to bring it out of the realm of faith. We have to let, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain. Jesus said this clearly, I will build my church. I had someone say a couple weeks ago, and in his semantics, and I get it, they had a good heart, but they're like, Chris, how's your church going? It's like, I said, I just, I, I hate to correct you, but it's not my church. It, this is not mine. This is his. I'm a part of it. I'm honored to be a part of it. There's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. But this is not my church. This is his church, and he's building it, and we're a part of that, and that's beautiful, but I, I refuse to bring this into the... Now, that doesn't mean that we don't. We don't try. We always do. I always try. I'm a control freak. I like bringing things back into the realm of control. But we're, we're believing God, trusting God to do what He has set out to do to finish the work that He has begun. But it is a statement of faith. And also, there's some identity here that I found in the story because uh, there was the time had passed for childbearing. That phase of life was over. It had come and it had gone. So that, that tenure, that phase of life was done with. Now, when, when Sonia and I, my wife and I, felt extremely um, passionate about embracing being the family of faith, doubling down on the priority and the calling to lean into this, to cultivate this, to be this. Uh, I, it, is no, it is no secret that church and community 
in the priority of gathering together on a Sunday morning feels like it's going out of style. It feels like the moment has passed. There is so many places around this world that have said it, do, it really doesn't matter if we ever meet each other or not. You, you, you have to roll with the times. You have to stay on trend. This, I mean, this feels like we're bringing back beef stroganoff and, and uh, tuna casserole. I mean, this feels like a very dated dish to bring. But this is what we're called to be. In fact, the entire redemption plan of God himself is family. The family of faith is his plan. So we doubled down and said, yeah, we feel like maybe the time has come and gone and maybe this is no longer a fashionable thing. But we're not doing it anyway, so we might as well trust God to do what he says he's going to do and just be available for him to do it. Can I get an amen right there? Now, uh, there's something else in this that I, I want to just, I just want to say, and, and I want to leave it out there for you because I think there's something in, there for, in, in this for all of us. Um, maybe some of us feel that we've passed our best days and we have, we've already gone past the most effective time in our life. And if you're like me, you don't have the energy and the juice that you used to have. Um, maybe some of us have experienced some of that. Um, I, I'll tell the story. I, I, I was, uh, my wife uh, had, has sacrificed part of her closet for my clothes, for ugly stuff like this. And... Um, it's no secret. I've I've got a lot of shoes, and that's uh, those shoes take up a lot of real estate in the closet. So they they they've taken up the bulk the the lion's share of my own personal closet. That's in my office uh, where my office is, and then because of those shoes, other stuff starts spilling into Sonia's closet. Now part of that's just I'm a pack rat and I don't throw anything away or, or anything, but I'm I'm getting better at that. But uh, I just realized I was like I need to get like a shelf for my shoes. So I spent 20 bucks on this little assemble yourself Amazon shelf. It's perfect. And I put my shoes on it, and it freed up all this space. It's beautiful. So while I'm doing that, I'm putting all my shoes on the shelf, and uh, I, I'm, I'm dusting off, off some shoes I forgot I had. And there was one pair of shoes that I had tucked away in my closet that were specifically for me playing basketball in. And it was a, it was a sad moment where I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I threw them away. And that was such a part of my life. I mean, you can ask my family. Man, basketball, playing basketball was a big aspect of my reason for living. <laughs> not, not that I was ever that good. I just, I love playing. And it was like, I'm, I'm turning 45 Tuesday, this Tuesday. And, uh, and, and like, I think I'm done. I think some of us are in this room and we just don't think of ourselves as being in our prime. But here's Sarah, 90 years old, in her prime. And here's Abraham, 100 years old, in his prime. In fact, go back. When we just read, when God called Abram, 
out of this pagan land, he was 75 years old. 75 years old, and God said, all right, let's get started. It, it may feel late in life for you, but it is not too late for God. In fact, I will say this, I will declare this. There is more effective, more powerful things that you're going to do in the later years of your life than you've ever thought possible. And that is a statement of faith, but it's also a statement of reality because that's how God works. He does things through the least likely uh, candidates. It's who he is. So, in fact, uh, may we all outlive our egos. I think we get to an age where we're, we are dependent on God, and God's like, now. Now that you're dependent on me, and you're not leaning on your own, your own strength and understanding, let's get some stuff done. Young people, we need to be gleaning from the wealth of wisdom and experience that we have in front of us. This is why family's so important. It's not just, hey, do you guys got a singles group? Do you guys got young people's group that can get away from the old people? The old people, hey, do you have an old people's group that can get away from the young people? No! We do life together because we need each other. Young married people, you need to be around people that have been married a long time. Old people, you need to be around some young people that keep making out next to you and it gets on your nerves, but maybe you need to make out a little bit. <laughs> it's a weird thing to say in church. We need more old people making out. That's weird. <laughs> it shouldn't be weird, though. It's awesome. The, uh, the priority of cultivating the family of faith is not a priority that I'm trying to get across because it's in my head somewhere. This is a priority that is God's priority. Uh, this is a priority that God holds dearly. Uh, and he, he's unrelenting about it. In fact, there's a thread of that throughout this entire Bible. You know how the New Testament starts with Jesus' family tree? It's family. That this is all about family. We are the family of faith. We're part of God's own family. Abraham is the father of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, whose name becomes Israel, who gives birth to 12 sons who are the 12 tribes of Israel. The story of the Old Testament is one family. It's one family lineage. It's one family story. Israel is a name that means one who wrestles with God. We all do that. The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a story of perpetual failure. This is not a story of heroes of the faith, honestly. This is a story of failures. Jacked up, messed up, broken failures. We don't read the, the, the Bible to find human heroes who succeeded and we should emulate. We find broken, fractioned, flawed, jacked up. To Abraham to be talked about as the father of our faith, rarely do you see him exercising any faith whatsoever. In fact, any faith that we see him exercising is because he failed before. And he, he settled for trusting God. It is not about God's, it's not about our, our success, it's about God's faithfulness. Not ours. We don't sing great is my faithfulness. We sing great is thy faithfulness. When we are failures, though we are unfaithful, God is faithful. In fact, I would say this. God does his greatest work out of left field. He does his greatest work when no one sees it coming. Abram, called out at 75, called 
uh, Abraham and Sarah to have children at 90, at 100, to start their family. Wherever you are on the journey, God is just getting started. Back to the story. Abraham made a, uh, uh, God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, covenant's just a, it just means a, a promise, usually sealed by some sort of blood, uh, the, the cutting of flesh. And so the, the covenant God made with Abraham was this. I will, I will bring, bring blessing through this family that you are creating. I will bring blessing through this family of faith, and your descendants will be blessed. Again, this becomes the nation of Israel. Now, that covenant was marked by circumcision. That was, that was the physical marker of this covenant that the males are circumcised. I have a chart on the screen that I'm, a sh- I'm kidding. Now, Jesus arrives on the scene. Game changer. Jesus arrives on the scene and what Jesus does is he is, first of all, the culmination of the promise of blessing. Everything that we need is has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, His grace, by His grace, He swings open the doors of this home and welcomes anyone and everyone who chooses to believe in Him to experience the adoption of sons and daughters into the family. So not only is this for the 12 tribes of Israel, the Lion of Judah has come to swing open the doors for Gentiles. For anyone and everyone, for all who believe to experience salvation. When I was a kid, there was a kid uh, that lived down the street. His name was Chad. Chad was naughty. Bad Chad. My mom hated Chad's guts. (laughs) My mom saw the movie Problem Child and said, that's Chad without the bow tie. Uh, Chad was not a good kid. And Chad led me into some murky territory. We got into some trouble. One time Chad and I were playing outside. We had kind of a little a garage with a little kind of uh, carriage house and uh, growing up old house. And uh, it had a window in it. And my parents had taken all their time and energy and kind of made this a cool little playhouse for my sister, Charity, and I. And Chad and I were in there one day. And do you remember the sit and spin that you sit on the thing, cross your legs, and you, you spin the handle in the middle, and you spin around and puke everywhere. Uh, we took the handle off that, and we were pretending we were trapped, and we needed to bust the window out. Chad's like, bust the window out. I said, okay, bad Chad, let's do this. <laughs> the minute the, the, the glass hit the grass, my mom was there whooping my bottom. <laughs> Don't you ever... We never saw bad chat again. <laughs> you know what? As much as my, I, I, we joke about it now, but as much as my mom disliked this kid, I spent every single day with him. Every day. My mom showed this kid so much grace. So much grace. We're all bad chat. We all think we're, the, we're, we're sparkly clean, but we're not. We fall dramatically short. We all fall really short. And as bad as we think other people are and as, as uptight as we get, and Chris, do you, 
Do you accept these types of people? Listen, I accepted you. <laughs> and, and God accepts me. I'm the worst. I, I, I love Paul's statement. I am the worst person that I know. That's the Apostle Paul. Chief sinner, he calls himself. I'll go with that. I'm the worst person I know. And if you're not the worst person you know, maybe you need to get to know yourself a little bit better. We're all bad, Chad. But God flings open the door and says, welcome home, good and faithful. He doesn't bring up your wrongs. The prodigal son doesn't get a, you know, a reprimand. He gets, he gets a hug. He gets uh, a new robe. He gets some cool sandals. He gets a big old fat feast. He gets Thanksgiving dinner because that's the love of God. Now, as far as the circumcision goes, Galatians 5, 6. In Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value anymore. That's the old covenant. This is the new one. The only thing that counts is this, faith expressing itself through love. Colossians 2 says that Jesus is our circumcision. Jesus personifies that mark of the covenant. We know we're part of this new covenant because of what Christ has done. and He welcomes us in. And now this is a covenant of faith. This is a family of faith. Our bloodline is faith. What this is about? Faith. How do we live? By faith. How do we walk? By faith. What's it, what, what, what counts? Faith. And that faith expressing itself through love. Here's the great, too good to be true news. We are welcomed into the family of faith with open arms by Jesus himself. We're no longer individuals trying to do our best to manufacture life for ourselves. We're not divided Bob the Builder trying to build a Tower of Babel. We're not out there as independent agents. That is not God's heart, and it doesn't work. I can roll through story after story, message after message that Jesus himself preached. Most recently, we talked about the vine and the branches. We're not individual sticks. We are We abide together. We are part of this big, beautiful family. And I wanted to give some some story and background to this because I want us to understand that we're not just insignificant individuals. You are part of this family that has been building since day one. You are part of something that is bigger than you could ever imagine. In fact, the Bible says, and it's hard to wrap our minds around this, but the Bible says before the foundations of the world, he knew you. He had you in mind. In those days that we feel insignificant and we feel unseen and we feel like we're not doing much, we're not making much of an impact, remember that reality. That before the foundations of the earth, God knew you. He chose you. He had plans for you, a design for you, and you were part of this amazing, beautiful painting that God is creating on the earth. We are part of this family, and his heart is for all of us to lean into this family of faith, to prioritize this, and also open the door and let other people join the family. Make room at the table. For anyone and everyone. I want to I end with this. And I can't, this week, I cannot uh, 
there's not a lot of weeks that go by where I don't think about this person anyway, but especially Thanksgiving week, I, I think about my grandmother. And uh, my grandmother was a, a, a legendary person. She was five foot nothing. But she would whoop you in a second. She was a, she was a stick of dynamite. If you've, if you've met my mom, you know she's a stick of dynamite, just like my grandmother. But my grandmother was gifted at opening her home for anyone and everyone. It was her heart, and it, it brought... There was a deep longing for family to be together always for her. And so I'd wake up, I'd be staying at her house, and I'd wake up, man, at 8 a.m., and I'd smell something cook, and I'm like, all right, breakfast. And I'd go in the kitchen, and she's like, Chris, I'm cooking lunch. I'm like, what? She's like, you can eat some fat back off the counter. And Southern people know what fat back is. So I eat fat back for breakfast. It's great. But she'd be cooking all day just for people to sit around and be together as family. My grandmother got it. She got it. In fact, when we started this church 10 years ago, she was a big part of how we were going to do it. She showed us. She lived it. And, And the simplicity of what we do is to open up our arms to make room at the table for the supper of the Lamb. To stop looking for opportunities to disqualify and divide and start looking for chairs to pull up to the table. Not to look around and notice the differences. We're not the tower, we're not building the Tower of Babel. We're in this together. We're not divided, we're together. But they talk differently than you. Well, God bless them. There's not a day that goes by where I'm not annoyed by how young people talk. Could you use the word like and literally less? Like literally, please? But you know what? I love them. And they belong at the table. And you get around some people and you're like, man, that's just, they don't have the point of view or the perspective they should have. Well, in some areas, neither do you. We all need grace. We're all new to this grace thing. And we all need to cut each other a little slack. Because we're all works in progress. The beauty is not the fact that we've arrived. The beauty is that we're in the journey together. And God's working all things out for his glory, not ours. So may we be the family of faith. May we truly live this out. May we truly find our place at the table and make room for others. In Jesus' name.